At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today, we are reaching way back in the archives of Healthcare Americana to bring you an episode from September of 2019. Now, this isn't because nobody wants to come on the show or ran out of ideas, it's quite the opposite. Our team was looking back and saying there's a lot of historical content that we've talked to experts and, and, and people with just really great ideas and they're addressing actual issues, but sometimes those issues continue to snowball downhill. The issue I'm talking about right now is rural healthcare. Rural healthcare in America has continued to really devolve since 2019. So here we are four years later saying, well, this problem has to be fixed by now. It was a problem back then. It has to be better now. The problem is lack of facilities, lack of care, long distances, rural hospitals being shut down, consolidated, leaving communities with virtually no medical options whatsoever. Now, 2019 was before the COVID pandemic, so the advent of virtual care really, for a short time, gave people some options, but virtual care will never be a complete substitute for hands-on medical attention. This episode, I had Adam Habig, my brother, president, and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks on here to give us his take and his perspective on this particular issue of rural healthcare options in America. Now, lastly, I will say that I can't open up a healthcare newsletter from any source these days without more bad news, more bad headlines, more nurses being laid off, more doctors being laid off, more staff being mistreated, more hospitals being consolidated, less options for patients. And that's why we decided to really go back into our vault, pull this episode out, and let you have another listen for those of you who are more recent followers, but it still has a ton of relevance and is still very much a problem that we at Freedom HealthWorks are trying to address because we believe that our model, the direct primary care model, is the only option for bringing healthcare options to rural communities because we do not need thousands of patients in order for one of these practices to survive. 500 patients or even less, depending on the economics of the area, and we are able to provide local, trusted healthcare services to virtual all corners of America. I hope you enjoy the listen, and if you have any comments, thoughts, feel free to drop us a line. Enjoy. Today's guest, joined by repeat offender on the show, Adam Habig, president and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks, and we are here to talk a little bit about 
the rural health care crisis in America. Adam, thanks for coming. Thank you. Good to be back, Chris. Always a pleasure, like I said. So rural health care is always an interesting topic because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And there's a loose definition about what does rural actually mean and what type of demographics are we hitting, what kind of socioeconomic factors, and then how does the current events, how can we trace that back in time to find out what really happened and the challenges that we face today, where those were sourced from and how those came about to be. So, you know, I'll lead off with a question of uh, to you of defining rural health. What does rural health actually really mean? Really, it's, it's uh, the healthcare options that are available to those people living in what are called rural areas. Really, that's the entire map other than our major population centers and the surrounding counties um, are, are considered rural. So it's um, it's a demographic. Talk about it. It's a a part of the country that runs the gamut in terms of of uh, geography, demographics, really socioeconomic status. But it has one thing in common, and that is that healthcare options for rural Americans have dwindled uh, in recent history. And there are stats out today that show that that even though a quarter of Americans live in a rural area. Only 10% of physicians practice in these areas. Uh, it, it's been a dramatic decline uh, that has really only accelerated in recent history. So we're not talking, obviously, urban centers, suburbs, not talking that. We are talking small towns, small, quaint America, and like you said, social economic. Um, you mentioned how it's declined over the years. When do we start seeing patterns of declining um, health statistics, health uh, statuses within these rural communities? The, um, I think you could trace the um, kind of the, the dwindling healthcare options and access. And I'll frame the question that way because, yes, there are certain um, health indicators that are more prone to be found in rural areas than otherwise. Uh, but um, certainly as healthcare in general has centralized as the small uh, rural physician practice has disappeared as rural hospitals have started closing their doors and healthcare has become something that is that is really delivered by mega systems whether that's insurance systems that are merged now with with large hospital groups um, and you're seeing that centralized around the major population centers that makes sense uh, that that's where the majority of physicians are trained and the majority of physicians then practice. Um, one thing that, that I think has, has driven a lot of this is that when we look across the spectrum, and we've talked about it in previous episodes, that there is a high level of dissatisfaction among physicians today in general across the board. And when you have physicians that are, are burning out at record rates and, and sadly have very high rates of suicide and, and, um, job-related stress, I think adding um, what they might perceive as quality of life issues into that equation has driven a lot of them to say, you know what, I am going to set up practice in a major population center or in the suburbs of those major population centers. And a lot of them are, not, are no longer drawn to those rural communities. So I think the lesson there is practicing medicine today is hard enough. And a lot of the physicians have made the decision um, subconsciously or not, that adding this, the added stress of trying to practice in a rural market is just not something they want to take on. 
Now, it's an interesting take on it because is that, in your opinion, caused by consolidation? Because you mentioned a couple of different factors there. You mentioned the consolidation of hospitals is a big driver of lack of options for rural health. But you also mentioned that a lot of physicians are saying, hey, for me, independent practice, non-hospital related, saying if there's a scenario where this hospital consolidated, move to urban center, staying in business is just too hard. There's too many stresses. Is that what you were saying there? Yeah. The, you know, I think practicing in a rural area has has upside and downside. The problem with the way that the that healthcare today has evolved is that in the insurance-driven healthcare model, there are so many additional stresses and administrative burdens that practicing in a rural area where you might be, quote-unquote, on an island, is just not attractive. You just, it's hard to do that, right, with all the added stress that today's healthcare marketplace puts on you. Um, I, there's a stat I just read. There was a study of, um, of, of 2,000 rural hospitals, and of those, over 10% were um, considered most vulnerable of shutting their doors, and over 20% of those were at risk of failure. And that's another factor here is that it's not just a, a, simply a decision that's made by physicians that, that choose not to, to practice in rural areas. Those facilities are just disappearing. We're seeing that coast to coast. And when that happens, when you lose a rural hospital, um, you lose uh, one of the only um, healthcare delivery access points available for miles and miles around. And so the result is today, we have a lot of rural residents. Remember, this is not a small percentage. This is over a quarter of Americans today are considered rural. Many of those rural residents are driving hours and hours to get healthcare today. Um, there was another study that came out only 24% of rural residents can reach a top trauma center within an hour's drive. That's frightening. That could cause some issues. Right. Just to piggyback on that, I was, uh, was researching a little bit for today's episode and was um, looking at Missouri State and the problems that they were running into with their rural health issues. And uh, similar situation, they had a rural hospital that closed and they anticipated that uh, patients who used to go to that hospital to go to the nearest hospital collectively would be driving over a million miles more per year. Yeah, I believe it. That's a long way to go. And like you said, if there's a trauma center that's not nearby, then uh, good luck to them trying to get there on a wing and a prayer. So you mentioned some of these hospitals are shutting down. There's a lot more of them at risk. When a hospital like this in a rural area closes down, shuts the doors, what is the impact beyond just eliminating those doctor jobs? They can probably go somewhere else. You're eliminating a huge knowledge base from that community in the, in the medical realm. But what other impacts does it have to that community? Well, it's, it's not just that. You're correct to say, really, when, when options disappear on a local level, you lose more than just the prestige of, of having you know, healthcare access within your community. I would say economically, the entire area, and that can be a region, not just a town or a city, but a region suffers. And remember that that there are uh, there's a tremendous number of of businesses, small, mid-sized businesses that are located in these so-called rural areas. And the, uh, people need to understand, rural does not mean simply farmland or countryside. There are many small to mid-sized towns and cities that are considered rural. And one thing that I like to highlight is that those employers in those areas have fewer healthcare options in terms of benefits for their employees. 
and their staff, yet they have to compete. Their competitors located in, in the major metropolitan areas or the suburbs have the options that they might not have in those rural areas. And that, that brings it, the conversation back to, I think, what, what direct primary care can do for those communities who have seen uh, really an erosion of their healthcare options, not just quality of life, but also economic vitality is at risk in those communities. Yeah, it's wise to bring in the employer part of that because you know how many, even here in the Midwest, how many small towns have these legacy manufacturing companies that have a few hundred people and they're the lifeblood of these towns. We're focusing right now on the hospitals being very um, centric to the to the ongoing pulse and ongoing heartbeat of any towns and rural areas, but it's really those ball bearing plants that have three hundred people uh, that have been there for decades. What do businesses like that? I mean, you mentioned they're out of options. What are they doing today? I mean, what what are there any options for them? Well, they're having trouble competing because health costs are now the second largest item on most companies P and L these days in terms of expenses. Think about that. Their number two largest expense beyond payroll is now health costs. And so companies all over the country are tremendously sensitive to costs driven by their health benefits. In those rural communities, and you're right, many of them, um, these companies are critical to the livelihood of those communities because they do employ such a large chunk of, of the population or uh, simply the economic activity that that is driven by having that factory or that plant located in that that environment, they're just much more sensitive to the loss of that that uh, business. And if those businesses can't access the same kind of, of health benefits, or really I'd say innovations in health benefits that other types of businesses can that they're competing with, right? If they're if they're if they're manufacturing widgets and their competitors located in in a city or in a suburb, and their competitor has access to things like direct primary care and other cost saving attributes. Well, they're not going to be able to compete with that that business that's located in the suburbs of a major metropolitan area. So that, I mean, and 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 that puts the entire community at risk. So yes, there is a domino effect. Uh, we talk about these rural communities losing hospitals, and that's one thing. But when you talk about the lack, the abject lack of healthcare options, and you're that employer running that business, and you know you don't have good options to contain your costs or to really attract and retain good, valuable talent for your company. Especially with record unemployment too. It's a very competitive landscape. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're that employer in a rural area and you have to recruit people to come work in your community, you know, you're already a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of trying to entice people to come to those smaller towns. It's just a matter of fact, it's a little tougher to do that. So if you don't, if you're not competitive with your health benefits and you can't offer what your competitor can, you're, you're in even worse shape in terms of competing for that talent. So in the face of zero options for these companies and for these towns and for these people needing healthcare access, who out there is trying to help? Who's leading the charge? What's going on? Well, there are a number of, of organizations that have recognized this over time and have stepped forward and are trying to do something. Unfortunately, that to date has not, has not been entirely successful, I think, my opinion, because everything that's been done is, is routed through this idea, well, we've got to expand the insurance-based system. We've got to uh, try to get more and more people it's in. All coverage, coverage, coverage. All yeah. you hear is coverage. Yeah, and, and it's just, it's tough because um, a lot of times people uh, certainly need alternatives. They need options to, to consider. And simply trying to say, well, we'll just try to cast the Medicaid net a little wider. Well, that's admirable, but uh, many times given the alternative between that 
and, and what something like direct primary care offers. Uh, there are a lot of people living in rural areas who uh, flock to direct primary care. And we've seen that when we look at clinics, direct primary care clinics that have opened in rural areas, they are some of the most popular long waiting lists. Can't keep people out of them because they recognize that in those areas, there are not a lot of other options for them. Like there might be in, in a, a major metropolitan area. It's almost like they've monopolized the primary care for sure, but even the entire healthcare apparatus, they monopolize it within these towns. Well, yeah, because they're offering a product that is better and it's a better value. And a lot of times when, when it's the only game in town, uh, but it happens to, to be uh, superior to what they can get by driving an hour away to the local, the local quote unquote hospital, people love it. They love it. Now you've been, you've been doing a lot of work on the ground uh, within Freedom HealthWorks, um, getting the ball rolling with different towns, municipalities saying, hey guys, this is a this is a reality. This is happening. What are responses? What are the conversations you've been having with them? And what kind of responses are you getting back? Tremendously positive responses, number one. The folks who are looking at trying to, to solve the rural healthcare crisis, first of all, they're genuine in, in their desire to seek solutions wherever they might be. And to date, and this is, this is in multiple states now uh, that we've had these conversations, tremendously supportive of the idea of introducing direct primary care into the rural healthcare equation. Um, they, they tend to cite the fact they go out, this is, uh, it's a tremendous model in the sense that it is absolutely accessible regardless of your health insurance status. So many rural residents are, are either uninsured or as we like to call functionally uninsured behind, trapped behind high deductibles that they're never going to be able to make anyways. Direct primary care opens its door to every one of those people. And it says for the same low flat price, you can access this high quality health care. They appreciate the fact that simply placing uh, these practices in these rural areas that may not have health care options within an hour or two hours drive is in itself tremendously helpful, not just in terms of quality of life and quality of health for those residents, but in bringing back some economic vitality to that area. Number one, by, by, by placing a um, you know, a thriving small business in itself. That's what DPC practices are. But also by giving the employers who might otherwise be looking to pack up shop and move, giving them better healthcare options so they can stay there. And they they are the linchpins of these rural communities and, and people recognize that. So anything that can be done to keep them there, they're very supportive of that. Yeah, that's really an amazing take on it. So there's municipalities, um, school organizations, small town governments who then themselves might be the largest or second largest employer around looking at it as a way to bring some, like you said, economic vitality. It's a great term, economic vitality back into the town in this, in this form of a physician's office. So you don't have to drive an hour away to the nearest city, but they're also looking at it for their own workforce. Sure. And that's a great, you're right. In many rural communities, potentially the largest or, or among the largest employers will be the local school system, local government, you know, those types of employers, they're in the same boat. They're all working with very limited budgets, very tight budgets, and, you know, whatever they can do to help, uh, you know, mitigate and control their healthcare costs, they're going to be all for it. So that, that's a great uh, uh, point. And I, I think the one thing that's kind of neat about this is that, you know, direct primary care, it almost reverse engineers the very factors that have driven this rural healthcare crisis, you know, that have driven healthcare options out of rural communities. You think about it, 
as healthcare and the mega hospital systems have centralized and they've shut down a lot of the rural community hospitals and, and clinics and things, you know, have they, as they've narrowed their networks and, and rural residents have borne the brunt of those changes in the healthcare system, you have direct primary care come along and you have a model that says, well, hey, we can thrive with a smaller patient panel. So no longer do I need 3,000 patients to fill a practice and make it viable. Now I can do that with 500 patients, right? And no longer do I have a, a practice that needs to shuffle people through every 12 minutes, you know, the, the infamous cattle drive that is today's hospital-based primary care. But I can take longer with each patient. And and it is one of the factors we talked about, you mentioned early in the, in, in this episode, that there are attributes of, of rural health that are unique. One of those is a higher incidence of chronic illness, hypertension, diabetes, you name it. You know, those are the types of conditions that need intensive management, intensive therapy from a primary care physician. And those are the types of things you get with direct primary care. Another great example, and we've had this discussion with uh, a lot of the advocates of rural health that are trying to bring it back, is mental health. And one thing that, that primary care physicians are capable of delivering is your frontline mental health care. So your depression, uh, a lot of those, those types of conditions that you wouldn't think today of a primary care doctor uh, really engaging in, those are things that, that we can bring back into these rural communities by simply placing a direct primary care doc in that community. So it's very exciting. You know, like I said, it, it takes the, the, the pieces of healthcare today uh, and of just the evolution of the the system, as we like to call it, that have driven healthcare out of these rural communities. And direct primary care uses those to its advantage um, to to really bring it back into those communities. You mentioned what I'm going to consider three out of the four major issues with rural health, right there, and how you know direct primary care. Obviously, we're pretty big fans of it here, and we like to to tout the benefits of it. But there was one that isn't addressed. And that is hospital access. So you said DPC addresses the mental health shortage, which is in huge demand amongst rural employers and rural towns. DPC addresses the primary care access, which again is dwindling, as you said earlier, and it can help address the substance abuse. So these people actually get the medical help that they really need. The fourth one that I have on my list is hospital access. We talked about how rural hospitals are, they're consolidating, systems are consolidating, they're going to major centers what type of solution or what type of, of um, ways are these smaller towns, these rural towns combating any type of hospital access? Well, many times they're, they're, they can't. Uh, the hospitals make the decision to close, and, and, and that's not the hospital's fault. Look, they've got economics to deal with as well. And so uh, if, if it's not economically viable to keep them in those communities, eventually they have to shut them down. But what direct primary care can do uh, is number one, you have less reliance on hospitals. So that's true whether a direct primary care clinic is located in, a, in an urban area or in a rural area. There's more that's accomplished at the primary care level under direct primary care than under the traditional insurance-based primary care. So that's number one, um, is that patients in those rural areas don't need to go to the hospital as much for the types of procedures that can and, and likely should be carried out by their primary care doc if he or she only had the time and the bandwidth to do so, right? So that's number one. You're not as reliant on hospital located an hour or two away as you might have been otherwise, right? Number two, the, the preventive nature of direct primary care 
also re- results in a, a better quality um, in terms of, of a lot of those indicators that drive hospitalizations, right? So a lot of the adverse events that come from uncontrolled chronic illness, hey, you're in a direct primary care office, your doctor is going to have a better handle on those issues with you, and he's going to, he or she is going to keep you out of the hospital. So once, once again, you're less reliant on the hospital. Um, some of the ancillary services, right? We see a lot of direct primary care practices that Freedom Health works, uh, works with now starting to dispense medication out of their practice. Hey, that's a big thing in rural areas. We don't think about that in, in, in major cities because you do it while it's a convenience, you have a CVS in every corner. Not so in the rural communities, right? The fact that you can get your blood pressure medication uh, or your, your diabetic hyperlipidemic medication, right? The fact you can get those things from your physician without driving a half an hour potentially to a drugstore, that is a driver of compliance that is invaluable in these areas. So th- that's my, my long answer to your, your question. As I, I don't know that, that anybody can do anything at this point to stop the closure of rural hospitals. We might just, it might just be a fact of life that we're going to have to deal with is that hospitals are going to be located farther and fewer between. But what we can do by, by then backfilling those areas with direct primary care is that we can reduce the rural community's reliance on the hospitals that are growing farther and farther away from them. Um, and, and by virtue of doing that, uh, I think, I think stems some of that, some of the fallout from this. So if a direct primary care physician starts up a practice in a rural area and they keep people out of the hospital, then there is no need for a hospital in that area. Well, there's less of a need for sure. <laughs> less yeah. of a need. And I'm sure they'd love, right, I'll, I'm I'll sure, yeah, yeah, they'd love to see the hospital stay or, or come back. But, but you keep them out of it and you don't need it, uh, not going to be relied upon. You know, it's a fact of economic life. You're just, you're not going to be able to stop that because hospitals have a different model today. Now look, someday when potentially hospitals change their own models and they're not so reliant on um, the revenue streams they are today, which route entirely through insurance, potentially that trend changes, but that's not happening overnight. And like I said, I think direct primary care is uniquely programmed to to backfill these communities that have experienced those types of losses. So what are some of the challenges facing the direct primary care movement and moving into rural areas? All I hear are solutions are telehealth this, telehealth that, go talk to a computer and it will connect you to some doctor 150 miles away and they'll take care of all your problems. Yeah. And, and look, you know, you and I talked about this, telehealth does have its place. It's a tremendously valuable tool. And we fully advocate that as part of of the direct primary care practices that we work with at Freedom HealthWorks. But it is not a replacement for in-person physician contact. It's just not. It can never be. It just can't. So um, that as a solution is it's pretty far down the list in terms of of what you do when there are no healthcare options. It's better than nothing. Let's let's call it what it is. But when you say, as you put, do you, do you want a kiosk with a video uh, with somebody, some, some physician or even a mid-level provider <laughs> located a hundred miles away? Yeah, or, or would you rather walk into, you know, a physician's office that's located perhaps in the, the small, um, you know, local downtown, maybe walkable from, from your house as a, as a rural resident or very accessible, you know, by car. The, the challenge is they're not as stark as you might think because, um, there are physicians out there, and, and certainly we'd love to hear from those. We're connecting with them right now, but at Freedom HealthWorks, we'd love to hear from physicians who might enjoy that sort of a lifestyle change. You know, maybe maybe you know downshifting the stress level a bit, and, and getting out of traffic, and, and getting out of the big city, and and almost opening that that Norman Rockwell um, type of a small uh, a small town doctor's office. Maybe you 
um, you know, buy a house on, on Main Street and retrofit it to be, you know, a very cozy, old-fashioned doctor's office. There are a lot of physicians that find that appealing. And so from our standpoint, uh, we're connecting with them and, and we're kind of forming the nexus between the physician, the local communities, whether that's the, you know, the mayor or, or the town council, um, those communities who are interested in doing such a thing, uh, the local economic development organizations, you know, those groups that are looking at the reality of their healthcare access and, and the impact it has both on their quality of life and on really the vitality of their town and saying, we want this. Freedom HealthWorks is forming that nexus. And the third part of that is, is connecting with the local employers, many of whom are perfect for this because they're large enough to have healthcare cost issues, but they're not large enough to um, internalize that. Uh, in terms of uh, you know the, the the major corporations who might bring you know site uh, clinics on site or something like that. Well, I think that was the the call that went out for physicians looking for a simpler way of life. What's the best way for doctors out there listening who might be interested in rural uh, health opportunities? What's the best way to raise their hand and get a hold of us? Hop online, come to freedomhealthworks.com, fill out our contact form. Uh, you can tweet at us. Um, certainly, we'd love to hear from from any physicians who have thoughts on this. And, and you know, there, there are many, many doctors today who might have, have even come from smaller towns and wouldn't mind going back home again. Um, there are many who, like I said, are tired of fighting traffic day in, day out, and maybe want uh, a little slower pace. Um, those are the physicians that I think this, that would find this appealing. And, and if we can take direct primary care and give them the better professional quality of life that comes with DPC, really the, the stabilized or even higher level uh, of income and the fact that, that they can reconnect and, and be um, maybe more of, a, uh, of an old-fashioned small-town doctor, you know, beloved by the community and certainly not, not just a, a rotating staff member to, at a mega hospital. I, I think that appeals to a lot of physicians. So yeah, to answer your question, get a hold of us. I'd, I'd say also if, if you are perhaps in leadership of, one, of, of a rural community and you like what you're hearing today and you say, I want to bring one of those to my city, my town, my community, do the same thing. Hop online, um, shoot us a, a, a note, uh, freedomhealthworks.com on our contact form. Uh, perhaps you're a rural employer who experiences some of the difficulties that we talked about in terms of having access to good healthcare benefits that are affordable for your people and trying to attract and retain talent in rural communities. Absolutely get a hold of us. It's almost like DPC is too good to be true, but we know it's not. A lot of benefits out there for a lot of different audiences. All you got to do is raise your hand, say, hey guys, let's work together. Well, Adam, thanks for coming over today in the studio. Thanks for doing the show with us. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. 
Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.